Welcome back to Mux Madness. Yeah, we are doing it again. We are doing it again. Later. Horace Greeley said, we would consent to submit to the suffrage only those who could read and write or those who pay taxes or are engaged in some trade. Any standard which could limit the voting privileges to the competent and deserving would be agreeable to us. Horace Greeley. Yeah. By the way, again, you should, I would hope you're, you're listening to this podcast long enough that you should immediately go, Oh, what people can't read and write and pay taxes. Who is he saying are not competent, competent and deserving. Horace Greeley looks like 19th century Vosh. Oh no. David, Google Horace Greeley right now. Oh no. This is a demand. Okay, Horace Greeley. Horace Greeley. Or oh, oh my god, you're right. Am I no. not? Okay, I don't Jesus I, Christ. I, I come is, correct when I come. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, if you have heard the term neckbeard. Okay, (laughs) this man's beard. This is not like neckbeard, like doesn't shave even his neck. This is a man that shaves his face and leaves just the neck. This man took pride in trying to hide it. He has a high collar, but it's emerging from the collar. Sticks out like (laughs) sticks out like an overstuffed Muppet. It's so bad. Just the around the edges and the tiny glasses and the neckbeard. It is a neckbeard man. The Again, Horace Greeley is 19th century Vosh. It, it looks it's, uncanny. He is the <laughs> uncanny. The ultimate neckbeard. The neckbeard that started them all. Whatever city <laughs> Vosh lives in weeps, as he said when he got off Tinder. Um, because he literally did say that. That's a that's a line that happened. The more oh God. <laughs> it's it's very bad. Um he adds the abolitionists are most anxious that political rights and especially the right of self-protection by suffrage shall be accorded to the freedmen of the South and waiving all questions of power, they would gladly prefer that such extension of suffrage be accorded by rather than imposed on Southern whites. So again, it would be great if the awful people that we just had to fight a treasonous war over just agreed they were wrong and gave the uh, gave the black men their rights. Yeah, wouldn't that yeah. be nice? I mean, we we could come to this decision together. You know, if there's one person I trust to just learn to treat black people equally, it's white Confederates. It's the people that own them as slaves for yeah. 150 years of our country's history, 200 years, give or take. (sighs) They cannot realize that hanging some of the late insurgents as rebels and traitors will dispose the survivors towards according the elective franchise, even to the most capable of emancipated blacks. In fact, the obstacles to such extension of suffrage are many and formidable. They are not to be surmounted quote parentheses though many act as though they could by a mere order from the war department nor even an act of congress you can't you can't tell them not to be racist they'll expose themselves and then they'll be all embarrassed and everyone will know they're racist 
and they'll have to stop. So just let them be. The problem will solve itself. Let the them make fools of themselves. The first, the first half of this chapter was was learning about one and a half of my favorite U.S. people that have ever lived between <laughs> Charles <laughs> between Charles Sumner and Thaddeus. God damn the great commoner Stevens. Um, I, I learned that there were human beings that did understand humanity and empathy for your fellow man um, and acted upon it. And it, it feels as if Dr. Du Bois recognized that he gave me a brief moment of joy and has decided, no, son, I will I will take it from you now. <laughs> Let me show you every garbage human being you interact with on the hell site every day but let me give you their 19th century great great granddaddy uh and let them talk down to you as well because that 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 feels like what's happening now um the most popular argument for negro suffrage was that of carl schurz please carl please help me it would seem that the interference of the national authority and the home concerns of the Southern states would be rendered less necessary. And the whole problem of political and social reconstruction be made simplified. If the, while the masses lately arrayed against the government are permitted to vote, the large majority of those who were always loyal and naturally anxious to see free labor, the free labor problem solved were not excluded from all influence upon legislation. In all questions concerning the union, the national debt. (laughs) Why is that the Mm. second thing? Stop talking about the national debt like it matters. And the future societal organization of the South, the feelings of the colored man are naturally in sympathy with the views and aims of the national government. And while the Southern whites fought against the union, the Negro did all he could to aid it. While Southern whites see Southern white see while the Southern white sees in the national government, his conqueror, the Negro sees in it, his protector. He shouldn't while the white owes to the national debt, his defeat, the Negro owes to it, his deliverance. He owes his own goddamn hard work while the white considers himself robbed and ruined by the emancipation of the slaves. The Negro finds in it, the assurance of future prosperity and happiness. How did that work out in all the important issues? The Negro would be led by natural impulse to forward the ends of the government and by making his influence as part of the voting body tell upon the legislation of the states, render the interference of the national authority less necessary. Who keeps going as the most difficult of the pending questions are intimately connected with the stat- status of the Negro in the Southern activ- Southern society, it is obvious that a correct solution can be more easily obtained if he has a voice in the matter. In the right to vote, he would find the best permanent protection against op- oppressive class legislation, as well as against individual persecution. The relations between the white and black races, even if improved by the gradual wearing off of the present animosities, are likely to remain long under the troubling influence of prejudice. It keeps going. It is a notorious fact that the rights of a man of some political power are far less expressed to violations than those of one who is in matters of public interest completely subject to the will of others. 
A voter is a man of influence, small as that influence may be, in the single individual. It becomes larger when that individual belongs to a numerous class of voters who are ready to make common cause with him for the protection of his rights. Such an individual is an object of interest to the political parties that desire to have the benefits of his ballot. It is true the bringing face-to-face the ballot at the ballot of the white and black races may here and there lead to an outbreak of feeling and the first trials ought certainly to be made while the national power is still there to prevent or repress disturbances. But the practice once successfully inaugurated under the protection of that power, it would probably be more apt than anything else to obliterate old antagonisms, especially, Especially if the colored people, which is probable as soon as their own rights are sufficiently secured, divide their votes between the different political parties. It continues. Hold on. I got to I got to put a pin in things right Please here. Please so, stop it. Longest goddamn paragraph in the history of man. I feel like we're going to do a whole nother like we read Charles Sumner for an episode thing here. <laughs> um, so anyway, couple of things. Okay. He's got some basics downright but these are the basics if you believe in the representation stuff you know if you're allowed to vote you're going to vote for your own interest you can't be liberated without a, without a voice without actual power and that's true but what is that power what power is that vote and this is where you can tell that they don't really want that power they want that favor they want they want to siphon that power into empowering themselves, and this is this is the opportunism liberalism because they're juxtaposing voting with force, right? Sure, you know, I mean, of course, at first we're going to have to come down and crack down and make sure the racism doesn't happen, but we can get the guns out of there if we just let them vote. It's kind of better for everyone, and that's a nice like you know benefit everyone sell that never happens and is always attempted at li- in liberalism. Um, but basically it's, it's, it's saying like, you know, the goal should be not to enforce anti-racism rather than the goal being, you know, the liberation of, of the black man. Um, but additionally, and here's, here's the thing right at the end, right? Um, oh, oh, there is no end. We have not, begun. Okay. we have not yet begun to end the, uh, the lecture of Carl Schur's. Yeah, but this is oh, this is one of the most hilariously stupid things is he says, you know, of course, white people will stop hating black people, stop being racist when they realize black people are splitting their votes between both parties. They're doing it at interest. And that's interesting. Uh, this is the same thing that that bourgeoisie liberalism loves is this idea of like the two party system, right? If there's more than two parties, it's, it's noise and you're, you're just disruptors distracting. And if it's less than two parties, if it's one party, you're, you're anti-democratic, you're just dominating. You can't ever just have a whole mass of people support the party that's in their interest. They have to split the votes so the parties can go at each other. And so the parties can hold each other accountable, not just the voters themselves, even though this vote is this great empowering accountability. Right. Um, and so apparently, you know, <laughs> somehow it's like, oh, we, we empower the voters, but they can't get something they want. We've got to make sure it's something they want. It's it's just such a pile of bullshit. And it's exactly why, 
you can see that, you know, this obsession with the two party system is a bunch of crap because who's defining the two parties? Who's making one party bad? Why would why would black people need to split their vote? You know, what's wrong with more than two parties? It's it's all just sucked into this one little like throw in sentence because that that is so innate to everything in American democracy. And it, it I it took a, a hot second because I was trying to the, the fun thing about the American mind, I, I'm going to say yes. me, the fun thing about my particular brain in general is that I have this weird thing because of the way I was raised and taught history where I kind of isolate stuff that happens in America and stuff that happens in the rest of the world into these weird little compartments and never the two shall meet. I, we are in the middle of a quote from a gentleman. Uh, this yeah. quote started a page and a half ago. Um, but, uh, his yeah. name is, is Carl Schurz. Um, yes. he was a pop, there was a popular argument for Negro suffrage. It came from this man. David, do you know who Carl Schurz is? Again, this feels familiar. I feel like it's familiar from earlier in the book. This doesn't feel familiar to me at all. I didn't recognize this goddamn man from Adam. I had no idea who this was. Meanwhile, as we've all been, you know, we've been going back and forth. I did, I did a little bit of preliminary research and uncovered that, uh, that Carl was one, the senator from Missouri. Oh boy. Mm hmm. He was also the 13th secretary of the interior. Carl also, uh, emigrated to America. He was a, he was a transplant. <sighs> No, wasn't this guy earlier in the book? This was the Marxist that that made Du Bois say so-called Marxist, wasn't it? I don't believe so, but Carl Schurz emigrated because he took part in the 1848 revolutions in Europe, most okay. most prominently in Germany. Uh, anyone who has binged these episodes has long forgotten 1848. Uh, but during, <laughs> during, it's kind of an important one during state and rev. If you were to go back, uh, we did a whole interlude on the year 1848 yeah. because it was the year of revolution in Europe. It was, yes. uh, Schurz emigrated after failed revolutions in Austria, Hungary, um, and, and more importantly, where he was in Prussia. Um, but, but. He was absolutely. He was a forty-eighter, as they called him in eighteen forty-eight. Was, was yeah, European Spring, right? That was mm -hmm. what it was called. Yeah. Well, that's what we label it as now. Um, yeah. It was the year that everything started to kind of. It was the prelude to what would. F I mean, nineteen seventeen is the great granddaddy of eighteen forty. Eighteen forty-eight is when this started. The monarchy yeah. started consolidating again. We uh, go in, back in, in between. In between is of course 1870, where you had Paris Commune because Germany unified under um, Otto von Bismarck. Bismarck. France had the the um, feud with them. Yes. Again, if you're binging this, we have covered all of this. Again, if you go back yes. to letting we we did we did very individual yeah. episodes on all of this, but um, 1848 again. Carl Schurz is a child of the 1848 revolutions. This is, again, okay. a work we talked about way back when during imperialism. Mm -hmm. He was in Europe during these times. He's in America now. He is a senator from the state of Missouri now. Um, <laughs> and he's he's speaking to these things. So I, I, I don't say this to either justify, give him higher place or lower place. 
But again, just to integrate him into the greater story that we are sort of telling throughout this podcast of this is this is a person who lived during what we talked about during imperialism and state and rev. And here mm-hmm. he is now. And this is the influence that he's having during black reconstruction in America. Okay. The effect of the extension of the franchise to the colored people upon the development of free labor and upon the security of human rights in the South being the principal object in view, the objections raised on the ground of ignorance of the freedmen became unimportant. Practical liberty is a good school. And besides, if any qualification can be found applicable to both races, which does not interfere with the attainment of the main object. Such qualification would be in that respect, be unobjectable, unobjectionable. Good God. <laughs> Shures. Right. Shorter words. Words need words, more words. Words be hards, but it is idle to say. That it will be time to speak of Negro suffrage when the whole colored race will be educated. For the ballot may be necessary to him to secure his education. Starting You're right there, to side with this Schur's gentleman. Yes. Starting to see where this guy's again, it is it is weird how you give someone's <laughs> how you interpret the same words based on 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 the yep. context of where you know this person came from and what they saw. Um Negro suffrage when the whole color race will be educated for the ballot to be necessary to him to secure his education. It is also idle to say that ignorance is the principal ground upon which Southern men object to Negro suffrage. <laughs> this is what every I I I don't ever regret for a second doing the, doing this the way we do it because I would hate to ever sound like well obviously I read three pages ahead and saw that de, you know decrying educational reform is why you should do, no no this is just these are the dumb thoughts that come to my head and then Du Bois a paragraph and a half later proves why I'm an idiot <laughs> it never gets old um. It is also idle ignorance to the principal ground upon which Southern men are directed to suffrage for if it were numerous class of colored people in Louisiana who are highly educated, as intelligent, and as as wealthy as any corresponding class of whites would have been enfranchised long ago. You can tell this man was in the same country as Marx in 1848. Yeah. Uh, it has it has been asserted that the Negro would be but a voting machine in the hand of his employer. On this point, opinions seem to differ. I have heard it said in the South that the freedmen are more likely to be influenced by their schoolmasters and preachers. But even if we suppose the employer to control to a certain extent the Negro laborer's vote, two things are to be taken into consideration. One the class of the employers or landed proprietors will in a few years be very different from what is the heretofore. In consequence, the general breaking up a great many of the old slaveholders will be obliged to give up their lands and new men will step into their places. And two, the employer will hardly control the vote of the Negro laborer so far as to make him vote against his own liberty. The beneficial event of an extension of suffrage does not always depend upon the intelligence with which the newly admitted voters exercise their right, but sometimes upon the circumstances in which they are placed. And the circumstances in which the freedmen of the South are placed such that they only vote for their own liberty and rights, they vote for the rights of free labor, for the success of an immediate important reform, and for the prosperity of their country, and for the general interests of mankind. 
If, therefore, in order to control the colored voter, the employer, whoever he may be, is first obliged to concede to the freedman the great point of his own rights as a man and a free laborer, the great social reform is completed. The most difficult problem is solved, and all of the questions will be com- comparatively easy to settle. Now, this is an interesting little twist here. I'm going to take another little break. <laughs> Please. Um, so he's saying like, oh, it said, you know, your your employer controls your vote. And he's kind of pointing out that day to day, really, like this right to vote is, and this is someone stumping for the right to vote. The right to vote is not really the path to power because the employer holds all the power and influence. But he's saying, well, if the employer holds all the power and influence, the employer can't go into the voting booth and say, who did you vote for, right? When he's talking about the employer controlling it, he's saying, make sure you vote for this so our business succeeds so that I can pay and feed you, right? I mean, he's just like coercing you with the, the threat of joblessness, but they can't go in and like double check you vote for the right guy. So the employer has to offer him something that makes him want to vote over his own freedom. A good way to be is like, hey, you may not want to pass this law that gives you this freedom because it's against our company interest, and I'm already giving you this freedom. Why would you put yourself through it and put yourself in worse employment? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And he's saying if that happens, well, then, you know, that person's already, you know, gotten some level of freedom, and that better be widespread or it's not widespread enough to win the vote, which is an interesting pivot and gives a little more heed to voting than normal, but also, of course, assumes that a party exists that serves their interest. Uh, which <laughs> is not true and is completely counter to this assertion that they'll vote for both parties if, unless both serve their interests. Exactly. And yet, nevertheless, let's dig a little deeper into this gentleman. Uh, how I mean, Du Bois has been quoting him for at least two pages now. Sure. And that's about as much as Thad got. So you got to think that okay. this person might be important. Okay. Let's continue on in the, the, the biography of Charles Schurz. Okay. After the war, Schurz established a newspaper in St. Louis, Missouri, and won the election to the U.S. Senate. He was the first German-American ever admitted to that body. Important. He broke with Republican President Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, Schurz helped establish the liberal Republican Party. The party advocated civil service reform and opposed Grant's efforts to protect African-American civil rights in the United States South during Reconstruction. Schurz chaired the 1872 Liberal Republican Convention, which nominated a ticket that unsuccessfully challenged Grant in the 1872 election. He lost his own 1874 re-election bid and resumed his career as a newspaper editor. And continued to be that throughout the rest of his career. I say this not to try and give spoilers, but because we're reading a fucking book of history and it should be assumed that we understand that history. And my lack of understanding of that history should not be a burden upon you. Um, You, the listener, not you, David. David, you're on your own. Certainly, we Um, want to enhance that. And from the sound of that, he founded a party specifically against forceful reconstruction, which fits his very first paragraph here we've given the mm-hmm. right to vote we don't have to use force as much um but then sat in for the republicans he was basically a cancer on on the republican party and as much as grant get gets overrated and is kind of a piece of piece of shit that that you know i mean wanted to colonize more and and uh-huh. you know ethnically inclined indigenous people he at least was one of the better if not the best president 
um, in the terrible, horrible history of the U- U.S. in the 19th century. Um, as far as like black rights and understanding the Reconstruction had to be done by force. I mean, certainly better than, than Johnson, right? To be clear, also, Schurz uh, was one of the founders and most active proponents of the Mugwump movement. Uh, the Mugwumps the were Republicans. So again, flip flop them, the Dems of their day. Yeah, yeah. The, the more the, liberal the, of the two. The abolitionist party. Sure. The unquote, party yeah. that actually did overturn slavery. The Mugwumps were yeah. Republican political activists who switched parties from the Republicans by supporting Democratic cabinet Grover, candidate Grover Cleveland in the election of 1884. They switched because they rejected the financial corruption associated with James G. Blaine. In a close election, the Mugwumps supposedly made the difference in New York state and swung the election to Cleveland. The jocular jocular word mugwump noted as early as 1832 is from the Algonquin I I can't speak Algonquin. I apologize. Um, Important person or kingpin war leader uh, implying they were sanctimonious or holier than thou is uh, holding themselves aloof from party politics. Okay. So again, the initial switch, that kind of like flip flop from Dems to Repubs and then this back and forth kind of fluid nature yeah. of, of party politics in America, Schurz is part of that, a leading yeah. proponent of that, a guy that kind of his allegiances kind of aren't nailed down to any of this. And this is all sort of, yeah. See, now that's a lot earlier than that movement. All that movement takes time. I, I feel like what I read into that is this was like proto Pumas, but they actually supported an election or they actually flipped an election. I, they flipped a part of an election, but again, yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, Puma, Puma is an act is it's an acronym from a very racist. If you remember that the 2008 presidential primaries where Obama was the up and comer that, that went past Hillary and people thought he was progressive and there was an enormous amount of Hillary voters that when she lost the primary race to Obama refused to vote for him. And Puma is an acronym for party unity, my ass, which is kind of clever. I mean, that was something held against him hard by Bernie supporters in 2016. Like you guys were the Pumas and you want us to, to vote for the Puma candidate when, when we didn't win the, the thing and you guys are not doing any policies. And, and of course, unlike Obama and Hillary, there are much more distinct policy differences between Sanders and, and Hillary. But, and so, I mean, that was, that's a nice jab at like hypocrisy, um, plus, the Sanders supporters that got like blamed for the loss of the Green Party voters or whatever were not enough to make up for it. Uh, but this sounds like kind of a proto version of that in the middle of Reconstruction that actually swung some New York part of an election. So I'm, I'm not super hot on the Schurz guy so far, but we're going to keep reading I'm going to say that we're and that was the whole point of this is mm, there are very few people we should be yeah. supportive of. Again, if you're going to get a whole, I, my concern is we might have gotten through a whole episode of Shures and not brought up the fact that he is pretty much a piece of shit. And I've been working yeah. for like a month solid now to figure out if Thaddeus Stevens is a garbage person. And so far, Thad's going up clean. So if I'm going to endorse somebody mid episode, I just need to feel confident that they're not going to turn out to be a garbage human. And Shures kind of seems like he is. 
Okay. Well, I want to look it back up, but let's face it. I, I'll never take the time to do this. No! Uh, back to like chapter two, because I feel like Schur's in my head, unless I'm crazy, was that 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 so-called Marxian that Du Bois was talking about, like chapter two or three, that was super class reductionist. And now seeing him as like this like moderate abolitionist Republican that broke away from the party all just kind of fits into that. But I could be getting people mixed up. Um, okay, back to the quote. In discussing the matter of Negro suffrage, I deemed it my duty to confine myself strictly to the practical aspects of the subject. Facts, not feelings. Facts, not feelings. Yeah. Um, I have, therefore, not touched its moral merits nor discussed the question whether the national government is competent to enlarge the elective franchise in the states lately in rebellion by its own act. Oh, are, are we strong enough to make these states let, the, let this vote happen? I deem it proper, however, to offer a few remarks on, on the assertion frequently put forth that the franchise is likely to be extended to the color man by the voluntary action of the Southern whites themselves. So at least he's a little practical and like, uh, yeah, these idiots aren't going to do this. You've got to make them do this. Uh, my observation leads me to a contrary opinion. Aside from very few enlightened men, I found but one class of people in favor of the enfranchisement of blacks. It was the class of unionists who found themselves politically ostracized and looked upon the enfranchisement of the loyal Negroes as salvation of the whole loyal element. Um, so, uh, I, no, I can, and, and that that tracks that tracks one hundred percent to what. Yeah, it's it's the the the. You know, the union white, not the union white people that we, you know, read about early in this book or that, you know, Harry Haywood, um, you know, we read about where, you know, the union was keeping out black people and then the black people became the scabs and there was animus and there's certainly plenty of that. But these were the unionists that saw the black people as comrades to their their own liberation um, because they were faithful to the north, not these plantations. Um, But their numbers and influence are sadly insufficient to secure such a result. There goes the story of America. Uh, The masses are strongly opposed to colored suffrage. Anybody that dares to advocate it is stigmatized as a dangerous fanatic. There goes America. Nor do I deem it probable that in the ordinary discourse of these things, prejudices will wear off to such an extent as makes it a popular measure. Outside of Louisiana, only one gentleman who occupied a prominent political position in the South expressed to me an opinion favorable to it. Louisiana is such an enigma. It's a weird-ass state here. Uh, Both for good and bad. Just totally, yeah. French Um, code. Napoleon. I got nothing. Makes sense. Uh, He declared himself ready to vote for an amendment to the Constitution of his state, bestowing the right of suffrage upon all male citizens without distinction of color who could furnish evidence of their ability to read and write without, however, disenfranchising those who are now voters and are not able to fulfill that condition. Mm, Okay, read into those qualifiers a little more, Shurs. Come on, man. A little bit of reading, a little bit of writing. Yeah. 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 Uh, except the ones that are already registered to vote, which is, quote, white. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, this gentleman is now a member of the state conventions, but I presume he will not risk his political standing in the South by moving such an amendment in that body. So even the guy who has the obviously racist qualifiers, the one guy he could find, and he's like, yeah, he's not going to stand up and take the stance anyway. Uh, the pa- only matter in no, which, no, in no, my no, opinion. No, yeah. Oh, full page left, sorry. and then you'll you'll get it back. Okay. Full page left, and we're done with Shures, guys. Bear with okay. us. The, uh, the only, only matter, matter in which, in, which, in my, opinion, my opinion, oh, I'm reading it. The Southern sorry. people can be induced to grant the freedom 
The freedmen, some measure of self-protecting power in the form of suffrage is to make it a condition precedent to readmission. Practical attempts on the parts of Southern people to deprive the Negro of the rights as a freedman may result in bloody collisions and will certainly plunge Southern society into relentless fluctuations and anarchical confusion. Uh, New York, Seattle, all you other anarchist uh, jurisdictions support. Uh, practical attempts on the part of Southern people to deprive the Negro of his rights of freedmen may result in bloody collision and will certainly plunge Southern society into relentless fluctuations and anarchical confusion. Such evils can be prevented only by continuing the control of the national government in the states lately in rebellion until free labor is fully developed and firmly established and the advantages and blessings of the new order of things have disclosed themselves. The desirable result will be hastened by a firm declaration on the part of the government that national control in the South will not cease until such results are secured. Only in this way can the security be established in the South, which will render numerous immigration possible and immigration would materially aid a favorable development of things. The solution of the problem would be very much facilitated by enabling all the loyal free labor elements in the South to exercise a healthy influence upon legislation. It will hardly be possible to secure the freedmen against oppressive class legislation and private persecution unless he be endowed with a certain measure of political power. As yeah, to the now, th- oh, 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 hold on, just another material thing. Like this is again, it puts way too much faith in what the vote is. But at least it's going like, how are they going to stand up for themselves if you take away all their power? Like, these white people aren't going to do the things that are in the black people's interest. This is nonsense. As to the future peace and harmony of the Union, it is of the highest importance that the people lately in rebellion be not permitted to build up another, quote-unquote, peculiar institution whose spirit is in conflict with the fundamental principles of our political system for as long as they cherish interests peculiar to them in preference to those they have in common with the rest of the american people their loyalty to the union will be always uncertain i desire not to be understood as saying that there be no well-meaning men among those who were comprised in the rebellion there are many great people, both sides, uh, but none of these in the number nor in influence are strong enough to control the manifest tendency of the popular spirit. There are great reasons for hope that our determined policy on the part of the national government will produce innumerable and valuable conversions. This consideration consoles leniency as to persons such as is demanded by the human and enlightened spirit of our times and vigor and firmness in the carrying of our prince out of principles such as are demanded by the national sense of justice and the exigencies of our situation. That ends what might possibly be the longest single uh, quotation was, in this book it was it was a long one it was, it was like long three full pages of this sure motherfucker 
We had uh, they need the power of voting, but they need to support both parties, but it'll make racism go away, but you've got to enforce it. And we got peculiar institutions back. That thing was a was a semi-materialist I mess. I missed peculiar institutions. It's been a hot second since we had some peculiar it's, institutions. It's been a peculiar number of seconds. It's since not we've had peculiar that. to be loved by you. <laughs> <Ba-do-ba-do-ba-do>. <laughs> All right, now finally done with the quote, back to Du Bois. The inevitable result of the Civil War eventually had to be the enfranchisement of the laboring class, black and white, in the South. It could not, as the South clamored to make it, result in mere legalistic freeing of the slaves. On the other hand, it would not go as far as economic emancipation for which Stevens and the freedom clamored. Because the industrial North instinctively recoiled from this, and the northern white working man himself had not achieved such economic emancipation. The politically enfranchised slave was accused, as every laboring class has been, of ignorance and bad manners, of poverty and crime. And when he tried to go to school and tried to initiate or imitate the manners of his brothers and demanded real economic emancipation through ownership of land and right to use capital, there arose the bitter shriek of property and the charge of corruption and theft was added that uh, that of ignorance and poverty, just as we have seen in our day in the case of Russia. So Wait, again, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, where, where, how did, how did Russia get, get pulled in? <laughs> what what year Rachel was this, get involved? What year was this, this published? A, that's a valid question. That, that I should know. Put the Russia I'm a in context. Dumb person. Uh, First published in 1935, so hey-o. that puts in clear context that that Russia was the Soviet Union at the time. Um. So yeah. Hang on. Hold on. So one sec. again, hold this on is sec. you know. Hold on a sec. You got the the uh, um, charges, you know, the property and the shriek of corruption and ignorance and poverty, just like we see them talk about claim in the Soviet Union. Like, so, I mean, there's the voice calling out some bullshit right there. David has been talking over the international this whole time. Um, I'm it's, sorry. It's weird that when I said, hold on a sec, as I was playing the international, I, he just decided it's good. No, it, the international is played through my headphones. You. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay. it's in my brain, and it will it will carry okay. forward. It's fine. Okay, great, good, good. It's it's in the listeners' ears and, and Nathan's brain. Um, but <laughs> um, but I mean, this is so America, right? And and Du Bois sums it up in a paragraph so incredibly well. Is that you know, of course, there were some people that that believed and rightly thought and fought for just a very small cl- amount of people fatty being being the main one um that we you know look to today of hey you know we need economic equality hey we need you know substantial quality hey we need the vote hey they need it all so that it's actually materially there and then of course the super racist people are like well make it technical put it in by name we'll work around that fine you can you can have your little laws right like they're they're reactionary they know very much they're they're materialist in a ferocious and evil sense they're materialist in a in a setting back power so they don't fall for the institutions and in between is a gaggle of people that fall for the institutions and people that are ideologically aligned with falling for the institutions who really just don't want these uppity black people getting property before they do you know who who how dare they you know um 
how dare they liberate themselves? You know, we're, we're going to have to fall somewhere in the middle where they get more than the legal freedom, but they don't get this economic equality. We got to uphold this capitalism. I mean, there's a reason you have a base and a yeah. superstructure. Yes. Base almost always wins. Yes. And again, as we talked about, um, you know, this is the, the interesting thing that people don't realize about capitalism is capitalism is the base. But capitalism is the economic expression of colonialism built off the Confederate um, cotton plantation enslaving South and the, the backs of enslaved black people. So slavery of black people and colonialism and capitalism regurgitating as colonialism through monopolization and, and expansive institutions that we know today as imperialism, whether it's done through investment or overt wars or, or whatever it is, those are collectively the base. Um, and so the base is capitalism, and it should revolve around capitalism, it should revolve around property. That's, that's what we have to smash. But we have to understand that you know this racism isn't just the superstructure. It's part of the colonialism. It's part of the base. And and so it's gotta it's gotta all be smashed. And so when Thaddeus Stevens was like, Yeah, you know, we've gotta make this more equal. We can't just leave the black people out there to die. Well now that's an attack on the base. Oh no, 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 no. You know, property property is sanct. You cannot you cannot go after the sanctity of property. Come on now. And we've seen it over and over and over and over again that mm-hmm. Property is, you know, they said life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I believe that that was a actual bastardization of Locke's own life, liberty, and property. They they keep trying to like subvert the property, like like hide mm-hmm. that that's really the thing they want because like that would be gauche. But ev- their actions, time and time yeah. again, show that above life, above liberty, p- property is the thing. That's the mm-hmm. thing they care about. Mm-hmm. Democracy, that inevitable end of all government, faces eternal paradox. In all ages, the vast majority of men have been ignorant and poor, and any attempt to arm such classes with political power brings the question, can ignorance and poverty rule? If they try to rule, their success in the nature of things must be halting and spasmodic, if not absolutely nil. And it must incur the criticism and raillery of the wise and well-to-do. We have to, these people can't rule themselves. <laughs> On the other hand, if the poor, unlettered toilers are given no political power, they are kept by exploitation and poverty, and they remain submerged unless rescued by revolution. And a philosophy will prevail teaching that the submergence of the mass is inevitable and is on the whole best, not only for them, but for the ruling classes. And this kind of brings you back to everything's philosophical, right? Mm -hmm. And really what we practice in America, capitalism is, is the economic structure and a capitalist is an exploiter and that revolves around property. But the philosophy it all lands on is liberalism and there's ranges, you know, there's the, there's the liberal, liberal, the left leaning liberal, sometimes even to the extent, the extreme enough of social Democrat, which is funny that that's extreme, but within the parameters of liberalism. Um, but that's, that's the philosophy. Well, what was the ultimate rule by, by liberals? Of course, you know, a, a, you know, bourgeoisie democracy is a very common expression. That's the, that's the one that lasts, but what was their goal? What was their favorite? What did they want? What did they really want? 
They wanted a line of despot. That's what they wanted. Because you don't want the stupid masses ruling. And even the people that are that are we consider, you know, left leaning, and this is where we talk, you know, oh haha, you know, we don't want the, the stupid people to vote Republicans. They deserve what they get. We we want to separate from them. We want the good, good, enlightened blue states to to run our own little country. You know, there's always this arrogance that comes with it you cannot concede to the unwashed masses they're fools they need to they need to listen to the institutions and the experts and the and the great things and really what you're saying is you know we need to go through the motions of voting but you need to listen to the think tanks that's where the power's got to be right like that's don't if you're not if you're not drumming up a think tank because you're already wealthy and powerful and educated and bouncing these 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 thoughts off of each other in these think tanks, then, then no, of course you don't even deserve power. You're lucky you get to pick the right person. And that's why they're so apt to browbeat. They all desperately want Plato's philosopher Kings. Mm -hmm. They so desperately want the Republic by Plato that it, it, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not even close. Mm -hmm. And they think Mm -hmm. because all of them think that they're the philosopher King. All of them. Yeah. And, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. That was it. I didn't realize you weren't. I, okay. I thought I was going to say, I, I thought you, you, um, first I thought you didn't have more. And then when you kept blowing, I thought you did. So anyway, um, the flip side of that, of course, and this is where we talk about like, you know, everything's insidious and people really have no power and, you know, are they're They're basically like drones that just, that just praise their party is this idea that you see in actually democratic socialist countries, right? Where, you know, maybe there is just one party with power because that's the party that serves the people and does what they want. Sometimes it's like Cuba where the parties don't really have power. Sometimes the powers, you know, run through one big party like in China or what used to be in the Soviet Union. Sometimes it's split among multiple parties. They have better multi-party representation than we have in the United States, like in the DPRK. But even then, there's one party that clearly sticks out with most of the power, okay, because that's the one that serves the people the best. Well, those dumb people, we have to deliver democracy to them. And they're all just drones that, that are forced to do that or, or that they're, they're brainwashed, you know. It's, again, no matter what, it, it, if poor people, because just like the boy says, you know, the overwhelming masses are going to be poor. They're going to be exploited, right? So if the exploited and poor rule themselves, but they're too dumb to rule that. They can't do that. But if they don't rule themselves and you're kind of admitting that they have no path to power and that they're just going to keep being exploited. And so you got to pick a side. You got to pick a line. And it's nice enough to say, well, democracy, and then run it all through the formality of the vote, because then you're not really picking a side. And when you're not really picking a side, you're giving the vote out to everyone. You're spreading the democracy. You're being the real democratic. You're on that unwashed masses side, but you don't really have to give them substantial power. You don't really have to serve their interests. They owe you votes. In all this argument, yeah, in all this argument, there is seldom a consideration of the possibility that the great mass of people may become intelligent with incomes that ensure a decent standard of living. And in such case, no one could deny the right and inevitableness of democracy. And in the meantime, the bridging the road from ignorance and poverty to intelligence and an income sufficient for civilization, the real power must be in someone's hands. Shall this power be a dictatorship for the benefit of the rich, the cultured, and the fortunate? 
dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. Good, <laughs> good, good jab there, Du Bois. Uh, this is the basic problem with the democracy as it was discussed before the people of the United States in unusual form directly after the Civil War. It was a test of the nation's real belief in democratic institutions and the fact that the ideal of abolition democracy carried the nation as far as it did in the matter of Negro suffrage must always be a source of intense gratification for those who believe in humanity and justice. And then we're about to get into another quote, although, oh, it's going to say who it is afterward. Okay. Uh, how far afterward is the better question? It's, 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 it's one paragraph. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. In a Republic, the people precede their government throughout the war. The people demand more stringent and more energetic measures than the administration was prepared to adopt. They called for emancipation before it was proclaimed for a freedmen's bureau before it was organized for a civil rights bill before it was passed and for the impartial suffrage before it was finally by act of Congress secured in the history of emancipation of the voluntary activities of a portion of the people in benevolent philanthropic and Christian effort proceeded prepared for and helped to produce that the government action which has largely contributed to the present condition and well-grounded hopes of the colored people. The reports on conditions in the South gained wide currency and had great influence. Salmon Pete Chase, Whitclaw Reed, Charles Schur, Carl Schurz, all supported with views and logic the prevailing trend of abolition democracy. In the South itself, long before there was an unanimity in the North on the subject of Negro suffrage or signs of pressure, the question of votes for Negroes came to the front. It was first precipitated by per- the proposed 13th Amendment abolishing slavery. <laughs> I didn't do that. Uh, December 14th, 1863, Ashley of Ohio had introduced into the House an amendment prohibiting slavery, and Wilson of Iowa introduced a similar amendment. Both were referred, but not discussed until five months after their introduction. Four other similar amendments were introduced in the House during the season. In the Senate, January 11th, 1864, Henderson of Missouri, we're back at it again, introduced an amendment to abolish slavery, which was referred. A few days later, Charles Sumner, the man, the myth, legend, submitted a joint resolution against slavery. The committee preferred Henderson's revolution resolution the border statemen were especially opposed and garrett davis of kentucky made long and fiery speeches and ordered eight amendments senator powell of kentucky also offered various amendments a proposed 13th amendment finally passed the senate april 8th 1863 by a vote of 36 to 6 it was considered in the House the last day of May. On June 15th, it was approved by a vote of 95 to 66. But this was less than the necessary two-thirds majority. Meantime, Lincoln had been reelected, receiving <laughs> 2,216,667 of 4,011,413 votes. Maryland had abolished slavery, and there was a movement for abolition throughout the border states. As the second session of the 38th Congress, the president urged the passage of the 13th Amendment on January 31st, 1865. 
Ashley called the proposed 13th Amendment for reconsideration. 11 Democrats deserted their leader and enabled the resolution to pass on July 30, January 31st, 1865. Blaine said, again, oh, yeah. again, even in these bourgeoisie democracies for very specific things, and you see how hard it is to get moving for these specific things for how much of a democracy this is. But even in these, you get enough swelling people's power driven by force and organization. And these guys are, are you know, they're going to bend to it. They're going to bend to the will. Again, it's, it's they're, um, I can't think of the damage control for them, right? They're just trying to get you not to uprise more and take the power that you actually have. But they're going to bend to you. And, and that's exactly what Du Bois is saying. Like, you can see this proceeding in people's power, right? The government wasn't passing this down to the people. The people were forcing it up upon the government, as you see in the uprisings now towards prison abolition. Mm-hmm. Blaine said, when the announcement was made, the speaker became powerless to preserve order. The members upon the Republican side sprang upon their seats, cheering, shouting, and waving hands, hats and canes, when the spectators upon the floor and in the galleries joined heartily in the demonstration. Upon the restoration of order, Mr. Ingersoll of Illinois rose and said, Mr. Speaker, in honor of this immortal and sublime event, I move that this house do now adjourn. The amendment was signed. The president admitted and submitted to the states on december 18th 1865 it was declared adopted by the secretary of state i i appreciate that you just went into like full colonel sanders mode there that's not colonel colonel sanders i have kentucky fried chicken the gentleman i went into was uh, more inherit the wind era so i'm just a poor southern lawyer uh that being said this has been Mark's madness. Uh, (laughs) there are numerous ways I have to stop that. I can't do, I cannot continue that that long. Um, this has been Mark's madness. There are a, uh, a number of ways you can reach out to us. If you would prefer to, uh, communicate with us outside of this weird audio medium where I ramble at you and David provides, uh, good elucidation. Uh, the first of which is to email us which is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com if you prefer mm-hmm. to use the old ways. Um, if you would like to get slightly more ahead, you can, in fact, uh, reach out to us on Twitter, either through our DMs or on our, our timeline. Uh, we are at marksmadnesspod on Twitter. Um, if you would prefer to have the most up-to-date, real-time, back-and-forth conversation, 8K, t- super good graphic i i understand how things work for the kids um you can in fact hit nathan exclusively up on discord uh, our discord server is a shared server with us and dumb and awful it is a 50 50 split um it is it, let's be real it's dumb and awful server that we just squat in for lack of a better word but uh we're, we're there we're hanging out we're having fun uh we are all there it's in our twitter bio uh if you do not prefer to use twitter Shoot me an email. I'll send you the link. Um, beyond that, uh, there should be, again, I don't think it'll come out by the time this episode comes out because I, I, I know how I plan things. But very soon after you hear this episode, there should be a movie night 
uh, taking place in the Discord server. Uh, we will be watching Lincoln and commenting. Uh, by commenting, I mean Nathan will be screaming various slurs at Daniel Day-Lewis while he plays Lincoln. And then when uh, Tommy Lee Jones comes on scene as Thaddeus Stevens, I'll be applauding and just yelling Yas Queen over and over again. Um, as is my want. Uh, that being said, I know we did disclaimers last episode. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like a rather tumultuous time, and so I feel like over-disclaiming is not a bad thing. David, would you like to give us a, okay. uh, a quick disclaimer? Uh, yeah, so point of this podcast, um, other than you know me and Nathan just getting together and, and reading books and kind of stumbling upon turning it into a podcast at one point, uh, is that hopefully... Uh, you were in an organization and a party. Um, if not, definitely join one. And hopefully whatever political education reading group, whatever it is you're doing, uh, you're reading these books, these important works. And along with your reading group discussion, you're coming back to get extra context. We're enhancing this more. We're giving you another perspective, especially with, you know, the, the, the context to back up things historically. When we do know, we know more than we know about Charles or Carl Schulz, uh, or Schurz, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Carl Schultz is the guy that wrote Peanuts, but yeah, no, throw yeah. him under the bus for his weird racist <laughs> opinions as well. Uh, save that when your uh, reading groups are reading a different book. Hopefully, then um, when you read this book yourself, we can be your reading group and we can give you the discussion, the context, the back and forth uh, to enhance your understanding of the theory. Uh, save that you know when it is a book that we summarize and when your cliff notes or a book that we read word for word where we're an enhanced ebook whatever we can do to make these works more accessible to you because the theory is important theory is important because it does guide your praxis and praxis without theory is like a rudderless boat whereas um i'm sorry yeah, Praxis needs theory or it's a rudderless boat and uh, Praxis is theory and action. They are tied at the hip and one is not any good without the other. Hey, man. And this is uh, <laughs> this is our name. Again, there's a lot of things going on right now. If you if you feel powerless, if you feel like like, you know, there, there, there's nothing you can do. Reach out again. We are we are constantly trying to find ways to to better better use our platform and if you have a, a way that you think we can be using it better please reach out in any of the ways we described above um we we want to be we want to be a positive force for change in this world um but but unless something else happens until next week uh this has been mark's madness my name is nathan my name's david and we will talk to you next week bye, bye.